0: Wasn't that a blessing this morning, hearing them sing? Man, love to see the children in our church, and they have a vibrant children's church in the back with the Evens teaching there, and, and uh, that's just a blessing to see them involved. From time to time, we do dumb things. I uh, belong to a Facebook group for Harley-Davidson Electric Glide Motorcycles, because that's uh, what I ride, and so... I belong to this group, and they go on there. You can ask questions about your bike, or you can see forums and kind of read what other people are dealing with, and it's just a helpful thing as I navigate having my own. And about two weeks ago, I got on there, and I saw someone, uh, one of the members had posted a question, does anyone have a Minimate camper, and can you tell me about how it tows and works and such? And I thought, uh, not, not only that, he had a picture of his bike, on the post, and it happened to be the same model as mine, same year, and get this, it was the same color, too, which is odd, because I don't have the most common color, and so I, uh, this was up my alley two different ways, because of the same bike, and also, I have that Minimate camper, and so I took some time, I mean, I, I wrote out a long, detailed answer, and I talked about how it was using it, and the setup, and and how the towing experience was and then I ended it up with you won't believe this but you have the same bike I have as well so I can attest for you that it'll work just fine for you and then I went back to my picture roll and I found some photos with my setup as it when it was uh with the gear it was all set up and everything I attached those and I sent it uh to be a help because I'm a nice guy I like to be helpful um I noticed only at that point that the member who asked that question, it was me. <laughs> Three years ago, I was considering buying that camper. And so I put a picture of my bike up and asked, Does anybody own a Minimate camper and can you tell me a little more about it? I answered my own question. Man. And I felt, I I only noticed it after it said Ivan Yoder answering Ivan Yoder. Duh. (laughs) I've been hanging around Pastor Forsberg too long. (laughs) Sometimes we do dumb things. There's dumb things that are humorous, and then there's dumb things that are dangerous. We're going to talk about the latter today, looking at one area as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been dealing with our relationships with other people and what ruins those relationships. We've dealt with murder, sinful anger, contempt, slander, and then delay in reconciling those differences. He now addresses a very destructive sin that harms our relationship with others and it harms our relationship with God ultimately and it brings harm to our very own selves and bodies. It is the sin of adultery. And I'm going to tell you right now, as we deal with what Jesus is talking about today, there are certain times in bringing certain messages that the devil brings a lot of distractions into the mix. So today is one of those days that I ask you to just uh, pay special attention. Hopefully you've got your phone silenced. And if you have a coughing fit, maybe step out back. But we want to give full attention to what Jesus has to tell us today. Let's read a couple of verses here, starting at verse number 27 of Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not, not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. I want to preach today on spiritual surgery. Spiritual surgery. Father, I ask you today with a humble heart, knowing that this is an issue that all of us deal with on some level, I pray that you'd help us to be honest with ourselves. As we hear the word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If we look at what he said, we see first of all that again the standard is raised. He, in one single sentence, Jesus has elevated the concept of sexual purity beyond the physical. He makes it a matter of the soul and of the heart. In doing so, he shows us our heart and he also. Uh, uncovers the source of our trouble. His words are surgical. They expose our sin, and they also show us his righteousness. In in seeing what Jesus means here in this text, I want to look first at what he does not mean. The pronoun I, when he says, I say unto you, is ego. It is uh, uh, from the Greek word ego, and it's emphatic. Jesus basically uh, putting his words above the authority of religious tradition. The word looks, when it says the looks on a woman, comes from the Greek word blepo, which is a present participle, and it refers to the constant process of looking. Jesus here is not talking about an involuntary glance, but intentional and repeated gazing. Jesus is speaking of intentional looking with the idea or the uh, purpose of lusting. Now, he does not say it's wrong to look at a woman admiringly, of course not but it is wrong, a sin, to do so lustfully. He does not forbid the natural, normal attraction that is a part of our humanity. According to the literal meaning here, a man is condemned when he looks at a woman with the intention of lusting. A man is condemned when he looks in such a way that his passion is awakened. He is not speaking of just the normal desire of our human instinct. Looking at a woman lustfully does not Cause a man to commit adultery in his heart. Get that idea clearly. He has already committed adultery in his heart. Lustful looking does not cause sin in the heart. Lustful looking comes from sin in the heart. It is an expression of the heart that is already adulterous and immoral. Because the heart, you see, is the soil in which the seeds of sin are embedded. The Bible says in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, murders, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. Jesus, again, raises the standard of the law. Again, God's grace raises... We talked about this the last few weeks. You have the law, and we say, oh, do we have to obey the law? No, no, grace takes it much further than the law. The law says don't murder. Grace says don't hate. The law says don't commit adultery. Grace says, don't even lust after a woman in your heart. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given a higher, uh, the ability to live a higher standard. And Jesus makes it clear that sensual sins are preceded by sensual fantasies. This is illustrated very clearly on a warm Palestine night when King David, who should have been in battle, but he was not, was at home and he couldn't sleep. And so he walks up to the rooftop garden terrace there and as he does so, he sees at a distance a woman bathing, and the Bible's very explicit, the Hebrew is anyway. The woman was exceedingly abundantly beautiful in appearance, 2 Samuel eleven two. 2. David's look became a leer, and then a mental adultery, uh, adultery ensued, and then he would not be swayed even when a servant reminded him that she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of his soldiers. The fantasy preceded the act, and that's how it's always been. No sensual sin is committed until it is first imagined. Our imagination, by the way, that's what distinguishes us from the animals, is a wonderful gift. Without our imagination, we wouldn't have much of the art in the world today, great achievements of science that's there. Uh, But as with any of God's gifts, it can be abused. When it's abused, this imagination can spawn great evil, fantasized immorality then, is just as sinful in God's eyes as physical immorality. Now, immorality that takes place in the brain obviously does not carry with it the consequences of immorality in the bed. But in God's eyes, the sin is the same. And that does not negate the truth that Jesus is teaching here. So the question then that we have is how can we live lives of purity in such a sensuous, saturated age that we live in today? The solution is surgery. Uh, Look at verse 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable to be that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right foot or hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not the whole body should be cast into hell. Now that is some tough teaching. Now, Oswald Chambers said, this line of discipline is the sternest one that ever struck mankind. Some have taken him literally. Yet, would that solve it? Would cutting off, uh, taking out your eye or cutting off a limb, would that solve the problem? Uh, brother Alan uh, Stately has a good friend. Uh, he's a pastor that's blind, and I, I met him one time at a funeral. He introduced me to him, and I got to talk to him for a moment. He lives down in Madison, and uh, so he's, he pastors, but he's blind. And, and Al was telling me one time they had this conversation about uh, these type of things here. And, and uh, he said, just because I'm blind does not mean that I don't have the same temptations. He said, for me, it's more like a scent. And when, uh, when I smell perfume or the same thing that your eyes do to you, my other senses do to me, I still have to fight it even though I'm blind. You see, taking out an eye, cutting off a hand, that's not really going to solve the problem. So what's Jesus talking about here? Jesus is speaking of what we want today to call spiritual surgery. The Bible calls it mortification. Now, the word he uses for offend here is quite interesting, actually. Uh, Our word for offend means to displease or to uh, make angry or to be an affront to someone. The Greek word is scandalizo. It means to put an impediment in the way by which another may trip and fall or to entice to sin scandalon which is the group uh, the root word is a word that means bait in a trap i have a trap here with me today and we're all pretty familiar with a trap uh, it's closed right now but you put a you put some bait back here and then when the animal comes in it steps on the lever and the and it's trapped that's what this idea of scandalon the original word is bait in a trap you see there is a bait that satan likes to put in front of our lives, to entrap us into the type of lifestyle that'll destroy our families, that'll destroy ourselves, and that'll destroy our relationship with God. It's something that trips a man up, that lures him to his own ruin. Now, applied to morals, it means anything that, uh, by which we are drawn into sin or by which we are ensnared. The eye does this when it shamelessly looks at a woman to lust after her. Now, here's an interesting thing. <clears throat> the eye is the member of the body that's most blamed in the Bible for our sin. Did you know that? Our eye. Uh, Ezekiel 28, but they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abomination of their eyes. So, is Jesus in this passage advocating self-mutilation? Is he saying we should literally pluck out our eyes or we literally should cut off our hand if we are offended by it (coughs) and trapped if it's using if these things draw us into sin are we supposed to just remove them the words are literal only in this context if it were necessary to chop off a limb to go to heaven it would be well worth it however thank god parting with a body part is not going to get you into heaven It is not required to go to heaven. Thank God it's never necessary to do this. We have eternal life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who has taken our place and our punishment for us. However, as we live the Christian life and as we try to live holy lives, which is demanded by scripture, it requires some rigid discipline on the Christian's part to dealing with the sin. So what Jesus, this this really is Jesus' way of saying we have to deal radically with sin in our lives. We've got to get rid of it. Now, imagination is a God-given gift. But if it is fed garbage through the eye, then it will be dirty. The right eye, then, is not the source of sin. The heart is the source of sin. Someone who plucks out their right eye is only going to, to avoid lust is going to be a left-hand a left-eyed luster. That's all he's going to be. The problem will still be there. The source of the sin of adultery comes within a man's heart or his imagination. If the problem is in the heart, then, what good is plucking out an eye? Well, that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is, this is serious business, and do something about it. Mutilation will not cleanse your heart. But we do need spiritual surgery. All sin begins with imagination. Consequently, what feeds the imagination is immensely important as we live our Christian lives. That's why we're to be very guarded about what we uh, intake, what we think about in our mind. Philippians 4, 8, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's what we ought to focus on. Those who interpret Jesus' text here literally would cripple every member of the human race. Because we all deal with these things. Jesus' point was that we must deal radically with our sin. We must take drastic action to deal with our temptations and sins, removing the temptation from our lives at any cost. This may mean uh, removing some items of temptation out of your home. This may mean (coughs) breaking off certain relationships. This may mean getting a flip phone, oh, the horror. But whatever it takes... The pain that comes along with spiritual surgery is worth the cost of purity. It's worth it. To live a godly life may require you to do some painful things. It'll take severe action to combat serious sin. But can I tell you, surgery is painful. Surgery is painful. But we go through it because of what we get out of it. Control your eyes. The Bible says over and over. Proverbs chapter four verse twenty-five. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. The idea is like the blinders that we put on the horses when we uh, when I was growing up. We we traveled around horse and buggy. We had the first literal one horse powered vehicles. They were very fuel efficient. You don't want to step in the exhaust, but they were very fuel efficient. And so when we had those. When we had a horse, especially if we had a younger horse or one that was a little more skittish, we had what we call blinders that we put on their halters as they were, (coughs) as we would take them because sometimes uh, motorcycle riders would come up beside the buggy, especially those jerks on Harleys, and they would come up right beside and rev the bikes as they go past and they could spook the horse. And so what this did is it put blinders on it. He could not see what was over here. He could not see what was over there. All that he saw was what was straight forward and the idea of this verse is that very thing. Keep your eyes in front of you. Don't be distracted by the sin and the distractions of the world around you. Hey, you've got a purpose. You've got a life to live for God, so don't be distracted by those things. The sin that used to draw you and entrap you and ensnare you, put that out of your life. Spiritually cut it out because it's going to destroy you. Look straight on, the Bible says. If you, as, almost as if you had plucked out your eyes almost as if you had cut off your hand. You're blind now to the objects that previously caused you to sin. So I want to talk to you about six principles of living a purity life, of having a good thought life. Because our mind, friend, is a battlefield. And Satan very aggressively is trying to get control of your thoughts. If he can control your thoughts, he can influence your actions and your attitudes. We are assaulted by his bombardment of weapons. Oh, we are assaulted by his bombs of bitterness. Oh, this is so painful to those around us because the shrapnel from those bombs don't only hurt us, they hurt those around us. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligent, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up uh, inside trouble you, thereby many be defiled. He uses the bombs of bitterness. He also uses the darts of discouragement to weaken and disarm us. He will use the arrows of anger to rob us of an attitude of joy and peace. He will use the harpoon of hatred to turn us essentially into moral murderers. He will use the projectiles of pride to poison our spirit and destroy our love for Christ and others. But what we're dealing with here today is the spears of sensuality that can rob us of our power, our purity, and our testimony for God. What can we do to get victory in our thought life? What steps do we have to take? The Bible provides some answers to those questions. Here are some vital steps to help you to have victory in your thought life and moral purity. Number one, realize your thoughts are not hidden from God. He sees everything. Shall he that made the eye not see? Shall he that made the ear not hear? He sees it all psalm 94 11 the lord knoweth the thoughts of man since we know that god sees our thoughts that should motivate us to have good ones amen that should motivate us to have uh, good thoughts and understand we're going to give an account of those thoughts to the lord one day and accountability is not something that is natural for us when we try to present ourselves we paint the best picture and that's how we present ourselves to others We don't like to be raw, but friend, one day you're going to be raw before God. You're going to stand before Him and you will be unadorned by any false advertising. He's going to see you as you are and we're going to give an account, Romans 14, 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So realize your thoughts are not hidden. Secondly, reject the lies of the world that lead to sinful thoughts and habits. If people think, that their sinful habits are not that bad. If they think they're not that harmful, then they will have a tendency to indulge in them. Camila Pagalia said, she's a professor at the University of Arts in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She said, pornography is art and we must welcome it. Syndicated columnist Stephen Chapman said this, People who watch adult films may be wasting their lives, but they're not hurting innocent people, which is more than can be said for the crusaders against pornography. Now, I don't feel like I need to take a bunch of time today and delve into the damage that this does to our lives and our society. I think we probably uh, got that part down. Uh, Even many secular psychologists and sociologists recognize the destructive nature of this spiritual weapon of mass destruction that Satan has leashed upon our society. And so we don't need to go into how devastating the effects have been, even in the past, especially in the past 20 years, with the invention of the smartphone, when it now becomes uh, available to anyone who has one of those phones. I have often said, this is the single biggest problem in our churches, and yet it is the least dealt with. Statistics tell us that if I had 10 random men stand up this morning in church, seven would be involved in some way in pornography. The statistics are there, and every man has to deal with us on some level. And I don't want to say that to humiliate anyone, but there are people here who can talk to you, who won't humiliate you, who won't shame you, but will get in the battle with you. It absolutely breaks my heart How many times I hear in counseling that people buying into the lies of Satan, that they are the only ones struggling. Everyone else has it together. I'm the only one that's having problems with these kind of things. And what this does, Satan then tells you that you are some kind of deviant, that you are some kind of broken human being, and you are a waste, and you are no good, and you are worthless and nothing. there's no value for you at all in the kingdom of God. He gives you all those lies, while at the same time, there's probably 10 others who are going through the same battle that you are. And my desire today, as I have I've put extra prayer, I've had preachers praying for this message today, I've had friends praying for it, because my desire for you today is that we have a place here where we can help and encourage one another without having to shame one another, because sin, uh, Satan disarms us by isolation. And when he makes you feel you're the only one going through this and you won't step out because of the shame or the, uh, the, the, the things that are attached to it, I, I ask you, friend, step out, talk to someone. It keeps us from reaching out for help. And I'm imploring you today, friend, if you struggle, reach out for help. I promise you, it won't be about humiliation or shame. There's enough of that going on in your own heart and life right now. You got enough shame to cover it all, don't you? You have enough uh, regret. or We all have that, that, there's, that. You'll find someone to stand beside you and fight the battle with you because today I'd like to declare war on it. Amen. We need to get rid of these things in our lives. My point is we need to reject the lies of the world. It is not harmless fun. It is not a victimless crime. We tend to treat Satan like he's some cute little kitten who'll sit on your lap and make you cozy rather than a roaring lion, a venomous serpent, a fire-breathing leviathan who wants to destroy your life and destroy your testimony. I'm asking you today, Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. He's not talking about spiritual mutilation. He's talking about uh, physical mutilation. He's talking about spiritually. We've got to deal harshly with our sin. We've got to realize this is important, he's saying. This is an important thing. It's not an instruction to mutilate, it's, emotion, it's a motivation to eliminate what is in your life, the things in your life that are pulling you down. Immorality begins in a mind that has been deceived into thinking that sin won't hurt you. The truth of the matter is that the fact that what is sown will eventually be reaped. If we are to have the right kind of thoughts, then we're going to have to reject what God forbids. If our thinking is in conflict with God's word, guess what? Change your thinking. God's word is not wrong. We are wrong. Uh, A preacher years ago said, if it rubs the cat the wrong way, turn the cat around. All right? We need to make the the adjustment in our life. 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Number three, guard your mind from that which is unacceptable to God. What kind of person you are, what kind of person you become, is determined by what we're taking into our heart today. Tomorrow's character is being formed right now with today's thoughts. So, what you will become is what you are putting in right now. Watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, they become your destiny. Temptation may come quickly, friend, but sin doesn't. Temptation comes quickly, but sin is something that we allow to work in our mind. We become what we meditate on. We become what we ponder and fantasize about. And for this reason, we need to guard our heart, the Bible says. Proverbs 4.23, keep. He says, keep. The original word is nasar, guard, watch over, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Eliminate those things that corrupt our thought life and stir up hateful desires within us and lustful desires. We're not to make provision for the for failure or for our flesh. Romans 13, 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Wrote Psalm one o one three. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Job 31, 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Shall, that, shall I then think upon a maid? If the company you keep, listen to this statement. If the company you keep influences you to wrong thoughts and in, to impure activities, ditch them, get rid of them, cut them off. The Bible says, pluck them out, make those changes in your life. We need to keep company with people that'll build us up spiritually and not bring us down. 1 Corinthians 15, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Misery loves company. But misery's got enough company. They don't need us. Amen? Let's do right. Cleanse yourself from bad influence. I want to make a statement. I've looked at across the table from numerous young men and ladies that don't buy into this statement I'm about to make to you. They don't think it's a possibility, but I want, I want to make this statement, and I want you to write it down in the notebook of your mind and seal it. You can live a pure life according to God's word. You can. You can have victory. You do not have to be entrapped, enslaved in what the Satan puts in front of you front of your eyes as a christian we do have the choice to say no to that which is wrong we should do our very best to avoid temptation in our lives can i tell you it's much easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist it that's why we got to be careful the bible says don't make provision for the flesh if you know there's temptation over there don't go over there stay away from the temptation that comes into your life 2 Timothy 2.12, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness. It pays, friend, to be a coward when it comes to sexual temptations. Run from it. That's what Joseph did. Uh, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, and Joseph, he was in his coat. She grabbed his coat. He didn't even worry about getting his coat back. He slipped out of that coat, and he ran off, and I love the words the Bible says, he got him out. Got away from it. That's what you do to any kind of sexual temptation. You run, flee youthful lusts. A number of years ago, I worked in an auto parts warehouse in Lansing, Michigan. I was on my way to work one day, and they had built a new billboard. And on this billboard was just a horrible picture. Just a erotic, scantily clad, I don't remember what they were advertising, just a, a horrible picture. And every day, I drive by that thing. And it's that battle. If you're a man, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where you try to, okay, I'm not going to look today. I'm going to look the other way. And then and, and you have that quick glance, and it's just... I just dealt with it. And finally, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go a different route. And I did. It took me a mile out of the way, it cost me a couple of minutes every morning. I just didn't want to deal with it. And sometimes the best thing we can do is just avoid it. Avoid it. And by the way, don't think you're strong enough to handle it either. That's what's so foolish about we, all our children when they dated, they had to have chaperones. I think it's the funniest question in the world. Don't you trust me? No, I don't trust you. I don't trust me. Why would I trust you? I have a policy. I don't counsel a woman by myself in my office. You think I'm going to let you, a 16-year-old, go out on a date with a woman by yourself? No. I don't trust you. None of us should trust ourselves, by the way. Trusting in ourselves is what gets us into trouble. All right, where are we at? Number four, ask God to help you with your thought life. We ought to pray the prayers of the psalmist, Psalm 51, 10 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Uh, Know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 26, 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me and try the reins of my heart. Is there any surprise David was a man after God's own heart? We often fall on our knees after we lose a battle. I'm just telling you, fall on your knees before the battle ever takes place. Ask God to help you. Renew your mind in and through his word. Ask God to help you with your thought life. When tempted to do wrong, use the temptation as a prayer trigger to escape the temptation. There's a wonderful promise in the Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able to but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. Now, Satan has had over 6,000 years to study human nature. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the three great lures, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He has found them so effective. In fact, that's what he used with Eve in the garden, and that's what he uses with you and me today because they're so effective. They work very well. The bad news is that temptation... According to that verse, is common to man. Everyone goes through it. Can I say again? You are not alone in the battles you face. You're not alone. You'd be surprised how many are fighting the same battle you are. And it's such a and, and when Satan uses isolation uh, to get us uh, and the shame that he brings on, it's just a bad thing. The good news is that temptation is controlled by God. But God is faithful; will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. God draws a line for Satan. And he says, you can tempt, but you can't go over this line, just like he did for Job and Satan, that evil manipulator. He can tempt you, he can do all kinds of things, but he can't step over that line because God, who knows you better than he knows you, who knows us better than, or who knows you better than Satan knows you and knows us better than we know ourselves, he knows how much we can handle, and he won't let us get too much temptation. Uh, Paul tells us here how to evaluate temptation. It's common to man, but it's controlled by God. He tells us also how to escape the temptation. But will with the temptation make a way to escape that we may be able to bear it? On every freeway of temptation, there's an exit sign. A way to escape. Here's our problem when it comes to temptation. We don't take the exit. We just stay on the freeway. For whatever reason, I think I can handle it. I think I've overcome, I've got victory in this area in my life. For whatever reason, we tell ourselves we stay on the freeway of temptation and we wonder why we fail over and over. When we don't take that exit sign, that way of escape. When Eve faced Lucifer, it seemed all the advantages was on his side. She was innocent. She, had not, uh, she was unaccustomed to sin. She was unaware of the malice of her visitor. And he, on the other hand, was the greatest of all created intelligences. What was Eve's way of escape? All she had to do was say, Thus saith the Lord. You say that, but God says this, Thus saith the Lord. She had the word of God, and as long as she held to the word of God, she was unconquerable, and what's more, Satan knew it too. That's why the first thing he said was, Hath God said? Putting doubt on the word of God. Wherever God puts a period, Satan puts a question mark every time. And so... Uh, we we have the word of God. We also have the triune God at our disposal. Our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, are opposed by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The flesh is opposed by the Spirit. God said to Noah, My spirit will not always strive with man, for he is also flesh, Genesis 6, 3. Paul says in Galatians 5, Walk in the Spirit, and you won't do the works of the flesh. These two are opposed to one another. The world is opposed by the Father. The Bible says in John uh, to one, First John 2, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The Son is opposed to the devil. We see that clearly in Matthew chapter 4 in the temptation. He came in Hebrews 2.14 to destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. In First John 3.8 he came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, so with every temptation that comes, however brief, we have one of two options. That is, we bow to the will of Satan or we bow to the will of the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and go God's way. We can give in to temptation, or we can give in to the Spirit. Paul says in Romans 6, 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. I like that. Have you ever heard somebody say, the devil made me do it? It's a lie. The devil can't make anybody do anything. He can't make you do a single thing in the world today. And so, because sin doesn't have dominion over you, He says, Paul continues in verse 16 of Romans 6, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. In other words, we can choose who we're going to obey. We can choose to obey God, or we can choose to obey Satan, our temptations. No matter how fierce the temptation, friend, God sees to it that the way of escape is available to us. We cannot help being tempted. Every one of us are tempted. But we can help yielding to it. Number five. Very quickly, I know I'm going over time, but this is important. Be accountable to someone who is spiritually mature. One of the key factors in getting victory over a sin problem is to make yourself accountable. This may mean getting a filter on your devices. Uh, There's one called Covenant Eyes, and what they do is every website you visit, it sends an email to the person of your choice. Pick your mother-in-law. Do that. Pick your mother Every website you visit your mother-in-law gets an uh, a, a email, What that'll keep you in line, won't it? Whoever it is, a pastor, a friend, someone you trust in the Lord, a godly Christian friend, it should be someone who makes you uncomfortable about your sin but doesn't shame you because you've got enough shame. This is already a shame-ridden sin that is in our hearts, and, and Satan shaming us, and we're shamed by ourselves. Uh, This person ought to have the freedom to ask probing questions of you. And you should always be honest with him or her when they do. The principle of accountability is seen in James chapter 5 when we confess our weaknesses to our accountability partner. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Amen. You can be healed. You can have victory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. But there's victory in Jesus, and that, what a blessing that is! Read number six. Read and meditate on the Word of God. The novel by Don Quixote, or the novel Don Quixote by uh, Miguel de Cervantes, has been translated into 140 languages. The Adventures of Mickey Mouse has been translated into 284 languages. The Little Prince is the book that has been translated the most by French writer Antoine de Saint-Jupéry, 475 languages. But the Bible can be read in 3,312 languages. What an opportunity for our world today. Do not minimize the power of God's Word. This book is quick, the Bible says. That means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and of your heart and intents of your heart. It is alive and you need to be in this book. Do not minimize it. You will either be in sin or you'll be in this book. They do not coexist. The Bible is the most powerful weapon we have in overcoming our thought life and getting victory. Read it, meditate it, memorize it. The Bible says, Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Psalm 119.165, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall, here's the word, offend them. Remember what Jesus said? If this offends you, cut your arm off. If this offends you, pluck your eye off. You know what? You get into the word of God and these things can't offend you anymore. John 15.3, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. God's word has a cleansing effect on your mind. It comes with OxyClean. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and you need some spiritual surgery. You know it. God knows it. Maybe no one else knows it, but you and God know it. And I want you to know, honestly, there's a church here that cares for you. They're not here to shame you. They're not here to put you down or demean you. They're here to help you. All we want to do, and there's a pastor here that loves you too and will listen to you, and what I, all I want to do is get beside you with my armor, you with your armor, and we'll fight the battle together. It's not about being judgmental. It's not about uh, looking down on anybody. It's about getting shoulder to shoulder and fighting this together because, friend, I fought it. You fight it. We all fight it. We all fight it. Don't think for a minute That you are some kind of broken or messed up or deviant individual because of the battle you have. It is a battle common to man. It's every man's battle. But it begins with a commitment on your part. Because here's what I've learned, sadly enough. The person who's in the problem has to want it more than his wife, than their pastor, than anyone else. Because if if, if the person involved in any sin, if they don't want to get rid of it, there's nothing anybody can do for them. So it involves a commitment in our heart. I'd like for you to do something today. Just be honest as you look with them. By the way, we, I know we talk mostly about uh, this in the, in the arena of men and the issues they have, but women are not immune from this at all. It's, it's shocking, the statistics on that as well. But I'd like you to be honest with you in your heart. If this is a struggle in your heart and your life, uh, or any kind of impure thoughts. <clears throat> they could be hatred, like we talked about last week. There could be bitterness or whatever it is. These thoughts that need to be cleansed and need to be transformed by the reading of the Word of God. If you have those things, be honest with yourself. Face them. Do something about it. Talk to someone. Get some help. And that'll be a help to you. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. As I mentioned, it begins with a commitment. It begins with a commitment. Commitment. If God spoke to your heart today, why don't you hit an old-fashioned altar, get on your knees before God, and ask Him for purity like David did. Oh, Lord, search my heart, cleanse my heart, try the reins of my soul. Oh, let Him clean you up today, friend. As you stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed, she's going to begin to play. If God spoke to your heart, would you respond? Would you come and bend a knee at an old-fashioned altar and say, Lord, I need some cleansing in my heart and my life. I need some cleansing. I don't want to go on in the trap of those things around me, what Satan has to try to pull me in. I want to be free. I want to have victory in my heart and life. If that's you, friend, would you respond today?